0: Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm JR. That's a bit of a disaster, isn't it?
1: What, two of us again?
0: Yeah, second week in a row. Well, hopefully. It might make it this quicker. Okay, we'll see if we can do this in under an hour. Yeah. I've got three <laughs> film reviews. Right. And another review. Yes. And there's a bit of news that we think we might all talk about. Right, yes. And I've got an email that's quite interesting. Okay. But would have been better if we'd all have been here. And we might be talking about Doctor Who as well. No. <laughs> I'm gonna do a film review. I'm gonna okay. split them like I did before. One at the start, one at the end and one in the middle. Okay. So I'm gonna start with the one I forgot last time. Right. Which is Eat Locals. Okay. Right, that's a British film. Right. It's got quite a
1: cast. Is it a
0: horror? Yeah. Well, n no, Vampires. Oh. oh okay. It's got people like Eve Miles in it and um what's his place? Face who played Vincent van Gogh in Oh uh, Vincent van Curran Hock. Tony Tony
1: Curran, Tony Curran yeah. yes and oh, okay. all of people.
0: Good. It's about a lad who meets and gets invited home by an older woman played yes. by Eve Miles. Right. Only when he gets there to discover that she's a vampire and she's actually part of a coven of vampires and. They need to keep a council of eight vampires going at all times. And they've just got rid of a member, so they need an eighth. And they've chosen him. Okay. But this all happens on exactly the same night as the Vatican have sent a platoon of soldiers down to uh, take the vampires out. So basically, it turns into a siege. Right. Is this a comedy? It's a comedy. Well, (laughs) okay, put it this way. It wants to be... Dog okay. Soldiers meets Shaun of the Dead. Right, okay. Except, I'm assuming you've seen both Dog Soldiers and yes. Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Right, although you could say that they both have a sort of comedy-horror element. Yeah. They're both very different films. Mm-hmm. And that's the trouble with this. It gets caught in between wanting to be one and wanting to be the other. And right. it turns out never to really be either. Okay. Um, It's the... Directorial debut of, oh God! Now this is terrible because I'm terrible with names, aren't I? I'm what, else, what else on. has he done? Well, he's she, an actor. It's his first film, right. but his dad was the one. His dad was Gordon Fleming. Oh, Jason so Jason Fleming. Fleming. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I knew I'd get there in the end. Okay. Okay. So, oh, uh, okay. so it's Jason Fleming's directorial debut, right? And I mean, it's filled with great actors. Virtually everybody in there's a name. Annette Crosby's yeah. in there. Well, Jason Fleming's got quite a large group of yeah, so he's friends, got a lot so, of people yeah. to call on. But the trouble is, the script is a bit. Lots of things happen just for the sake of the fact that they'd be cool things to happen in a right. film. Yeah. So in the end, by about halfway through, you're starting to think none of this really makes any sense. Yeah. And it just never
1: does. Anyway, you know you, know you listened to a Doctor Who podcast when to get to Jason Fleming. You go yeah, to Gordon the Fleming, Fleming first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the um, remote pack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean the, the the camera work and the editing and all stuff like that, it's mm. a great looking movie. Okay. Okay. But it just the script doesn't add up and the tone is all over the place. Mm. And so it's it's it could have been a lot better. Mm-hmm. But it also could have been a lot worse. Let's get into some Doctor Who stories. Because okay. this week we are doing the top ten new series Doctor Who stories. Right. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'll I tell you what. I'll start by going through all the ones that got votes. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, I'll do this when we do the classic series as well. Yeah. Because it's worth going through the ones that anybody voted for. Just yeah. to pick some out that were unusual ones. I mean, on one point, you've got things like the God Complex. I love the God Complex. Right. Yeah, yeah. could have got more. Yeah. But Aliens of London. Okay, I don't love that. Yeah, well, that's quite a surprising one to get any votes at all. Yeah. Yeah. Considering people are doing only their top five from the entire Mm -hmm. new series. Yeah. Let's Kill Hitler got a vote. Okay. Lie of the Land got a vote. Mm, Okay. Well, these are just ones that I wouldn't have thought. And then as we go up the list, Flatline is only just above them. Right. And I thought that might get a few more. School Reunion is only just above them. I thought that might get a few more. Then you've got things like Deep Breath, The End of the World, Silence in the Library. Turn Left. Wow. Ended up really low. Surprised about that. Dinosaurs on a spaceship is above Turn Left. Wow. Then you've got things like The Impossible Astronaut, Unicorn and the Wasp. Yeah. Another one I was quite surprised
1: to see on the list. I'm surprised Deep Breath is so low. But then again, you're dealing with like over 100 now. Stories is it? Uh, it's got to be quite something like that, yeah. yeah. And ten down series with, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, the Zygon invasion, Asylum of the Daleks, The Girl Who Waited. Mm-hmm. These are all outside the top twenty, which I don't know whether is surprising or not. But the top twenty, I'm going to do the top twenty, okay. But uh, these are all bunched on just five points between all. Ten of them, so I'll right. just say the list going up from the bottom. Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. We need that, we need that radio music, don't we? For this sort of Oh, I'll edit it in doo, afterwards. Doo, doo, doo. Okay. I, I won't really. Okay. Um, Army of Ghosts yeah. and Doomsday's in there. Mm-hmm. Daleks in there. Mm-hmm. Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Bent, which I thought was surprisingly high. I love Hellbent, yeah, but yeah. I didn't realise anybody else did. Um, Stolen Earth and uh, Journey's End. Mm-hmm. Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways. Outside the top ten, *The um, Impossible Planet*, *Pandora Opens*, *The Big Bang*. Um, in twelfth place, *Time of Angels*, *Flesh and Stone*. Right. And in eleventh place, and this is where I started to put in the spread. Yes. On eight point one percent of the available vote. Yeah. The girl in the fireplace. Okay. Okay.
1: Which is nice to see because okay. I love that. So those story. those stories you do start to get the more highly regarded stories, the yeah, stories yeah. you expect to see in, a top in the 10 top 10 or 20. 20 yeah. Yeah. But some of those I, I thought might have been
0: in the top 10, but, mm. well. So, we get into the top 10 and at number 10 on 10.4%, 10. so a bit of a jump up. Yeah. So the top 10 is very definitely the top 10. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to uh, it being so close, there wasn't really anything in it. Yeah. In tenth place, we've got the Doctor's wife, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you see why
1: that's in there. That's... I, know, I love it. I think yeah. it's great. Me too. But I've, but I've, so I've been reading people who have, have recently gone, uh, recently doing gone away retra- from it, doing a retrospect of, of oh, Matt right, Smith's yeah. stories, and the Doctor's wife fell completely flat for them. So I'm sort of. <laughs> I'm sort of off the back of their comments as well, but... Um, for some people, but for others it stays. Yeah. And yeah. I think
0: it's one of those ones, when you're asking people to name their top five, mm. I think enough people for whom it hasn't dropped off, yeah. they're still going to vote for it yeah. to place
1: it. It's a very atypical story. It's a very... Yeah. It's well, a, it has... a character study of the TARDIS, which yeah. is, is quite unusual. Well, and
0: as you were saying last week, atypical often mm-hmm. means extra votes because yeah. they're the ones yeah. that stick in people's yeah. minds, mm-hmm. as we will discover. Yeah, right. The ninth, eighth, seventh, and sixth places are all tied on okay. sixth. <laughs> let's let's do them in one. Now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing with voting for. I mean, when you're voting for the seasons, even in mm-hmm. the classic series, you've only got twenty six, so the 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 voting is spread a lot more. Yes. unevenly than it is here, but with so many stories to choose from. Yeah. The voting, in the lower half at least, in the top five it's a bit different. Right. In the yeah. lower half, there's a lot very close together. On 11.9%, yes. so a little bit up from The Doctor's Wife. Mm. Four stories, okay, one of whom is by one of the showrunners and three of whom are by the
1: other showrunner. Okay. Uh, would you like to guess which one is... So I'd, I'd imagine one is by Russell T. Davis, and then three are by Stephen Moffat. Okay. Or so the other way around. No, that way oh, around. Okay. You got it. Okay.
0: In fact... No, I'm not going to spoil anything. Right. So, do you want to talk about the uh, Russell T. Davis one first, or the Moffat one? Well, i am trying to guess what the Russell T. Davis one is? Well, I do be, you want to guess what um, the Russell it, T. Could Davis one is? it be Midnight? It is Midnight. Oh, well, uh, We talked about this a lot the other week, but... Yeah. Uh, well, we're talking about why they're here, and to be honest, that is the most atypical, perhaps, other than maybe "Turn Left," yes. and maybe "Love and Monsters," which is a very contentious.
1: Well, so "Midnight's Midnight's" conceptually the, the most different. So "Midnight's" the one of the few. Well, "Turn sort of Left" is level, as so well, I guess. "Turn Left" is, but "Love and Monsters" is tonally tonally different. I think there's a and and conceptually yeah i think in they're all pretty conceptually different
0: actually i think you might make an argument to say that of those three mm. they're all conceptually quite different but i think maybe midnight is the one that's conceptually less different than the other two maybe that's the why that one's done better because that one is one that sticks in the mind without being so far out there
1: that it doesn't yeah. lose votes and it also it also should appeal to to hardcore old doctor Who fans because exactly. it's got that kind of you could almost do it on a three camera setup well it's well, got it's that kind of stage it's stage got base under siege film. yeah, yeah, it's got a classic Doctor Who feel with a conceptual twist it's not my favorite I have to say, but I can see the appeal, but it's not one that I turn back to.
0: I look at midnight and I think it's Russell T Davis trying to do what Stephen Moffat does, right. Because Stephen Moffat does conceptual, as we know. Mm. But Stephen Moffat does a kind of conceptual where he has lots of strings and he ties all the strings up at the end. Whereas with Midnight, what Russell T Davies has done is he's come up with a concept, but he doesn't have any strings. So there's nothing to tie up. So actually, he takes a concept that's similar to Stephen Moffat's concepts, yeah. and instead of then playing with the concept and tying it all together in a bow at the end, mm. he just lets the concept run yeah. and does a character study around the concept.
1: Yeah, but actually, that's a, that's not the thing I find unappealing about it. I actually quite like quite like the sort of the complete ambiguity, the complete, the oh, complete yeah, yeah, yeah. lack of background, and the fact that it is a character study. I just don't find it a very interesting concept. I don't find it very creepy in the way that. <laughs> so I remember the build-up for it was you won't see anything as creepy as this. Imagine this and how creepy it is. Imagine somebody speaking your words before you. And I just don't quite I get, don't get that. I, it doesn't give me the chills. I think it works really well the first time you see it. It it, it works, and it as, a, as an idea it works, it just doesn't... It doesn't grab me as being a creepy thing. It doesn't. Mm. It didn't quite fulfil the promise of the interviews. But then there's a whole sort of string of interviews before every season saying this episode is the scariest thing we've ever done. Wait until you see it. And And of course you've got to remember what it's like watching these things when you're eight. Yeah. I think
0: watching Midnight when you're eight. Yeah. The bit where she starts repeating and then catches up
1: and then goes ahead is going to freak. I would have thought freak the eight. So I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not my
0: favourite. I was going to say something else then, but... Oh, yeah, the other thing about it is it's not just a concept, but it's a school playground concept. Yeah. And again, that's kind of a very Stephen Moffat thing. Mm -hmm. The Weeping Angels being Grandma's Bluff or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, But Stephen Moffat, it's... With Stephen Moffat, it's not specifically the school playground Mm -hmm. that he goes for. But it's more childhood nightmares that he goes for. Yeah. And I think the reason why there's that similarity between that and The Weeping Angels is just because those two happen to be school playground things. Yeah. Whereas actually elsewhere in Stephen Moffat, you've got, well, you've got the monsters under the bed. Mm -hmm. In, for instance, Listen... Yeah. Which is also tied with midnight. Okay, okay, you've got the cracks in the wall, yeah, as seen in the eleventh hour, which is also. Are you doing? A, 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 yes, I am. A cute thing of time. I'm doing a cute thing. Okay, and then you've got statues that might or might not be alive, which is in blink, which really? also is really? tied blink with
1: didn't, Blink didn't. Blink didn't come. Whoa.
0: Yeah, Blink, surprisingly, is okay. no higher than okay. Joint Sixth
1: with The Eleventh Hour, Listen and Midnight. So, amazingly, they are they do tie together. They do yeah. feel, feel actually, tonally, they're all quite... <sighs> the Eleventh Hour is a all... bit more of a romp, but it has certainly they're all, big elements yeah. of creepiness. They're all untraditional Doctor Who stories. They've all got the same level of horror. None of them are really body horror. They're all sort of psychological. Yeah, sort of skewed horror, psychological horror, or mm. mythic horror as well. This kind of fairy tale horror. Even yeah. you know. Well, yeah. Even even the Russell T. Davis one. So Steve's yeah, known yeah, yeah. for the sort of fairy tale horror. And then Russell T. Davis does that version, as you say. So yeah. So maybe there is a case that these things appeal certainly appeal because they're in the top ten. I think they appeal greatly, as long as they're done well enough. Yeah.
0: Because yeah, if when you're dealing with that kind of stuff, it's probably so easy to get it really badly wrong. Yeah. And Stephen Moffat's obviously a past master at it. Mm. And there's Russell T Davis's attempt to do the same very successfully.
1: Yes, yeah. So they've yeah. all done very well. Yeah. Um. But they don't have that sort of traditional feel that would mean they'd get all the votes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. I can imagine some of the stories, I'm trying to imagine some of the stories that come above them. Well, um, we'll find yeah, out. I'm imagining that they're more of a balance between old style and new.
0: Well, about these three, you've got, and about where they've ended up. Listen is probably higher than I maybe thought it would be. Right. Although it's certainly lower than I wished it had have been, okay. because that would have been in my top three. Yeah. But listen. Is one of those ones, especially with the twist at the end and the yeah. fact that it goes into the Doctor's past, that really rubbed some people up the wrong yeah. way. Yeah. So actually, I think it's nice that it has done mm-hmm. as well as it has. Yeah. The eleventh. 11th... St- I've still only seen it once. Oh dear. The eleventh hour, I thought might have done better because so many. I'm not a huge fan of the eleventh hour. I don't dislike it. No. But I don't think it's anything like Stephen Moffat's best. I think it's a bit loose and flops around
1: all over the place a bit. For me, it's it's probably, it's not his best, but it's probably one of the stronger season openers that there have been. The season openers always tend to be quite... Flabby. Flabby yeah. and loose. And it's certainly one of the better introductions of a Doctor. It, it is. It's, it's better than Castrovalva, for instance. Well, yeah. Thought. But
0: I think it's easily been outdone by things like say the Parandorica Opens and the Big Bang. Yes. So and even Time of Angels, yeah, I thought was a better, more consistent sort of story. But the eleventh hour is just one of those ones that people seem to love. It also gets votes for being the first first. match. It would just get those So I was actually quite surprised the eleventh hour wasn't higher Mm -hmm. because you just hear people raving about that. I still think
1: Deep Breath is better. I still really like Deep Breath. I think Deep Breath's just too long with not enough story. I don't know. I think I quite... Yeah. I quite like the fact they take its time. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's, that's the difference between... Oh, no, I do like that. I think they they really... The scenes really sort of stretch out and I, I kind of like that then. I... No. Yeah, I do like
0: that and I enjoy it, but by the same token, I could never say I think it's... A tight, taut, no, great no. story. I think it's a yeah. decent story that's an entertaining watch. Yeah, but... yeah. But Blink, as you said, it's, yeah. that's yeah, one Blink that's is usually the in the top three of all time yeah, sort of yeah, polls. Yeah. And yeah. here, in a poll of the new series alone, mm-hmm. it's come outside the top five. I'm pretty sure I voted it second,
1: or, if yeah. I, or my vote's there. Uh, no, I don't have oh, okay, room to put okay, everybody's okay. votes on I'm these I'm pretty sheets. sure I would have voted it second of the new series stories. I can't because it's so beautifully done. I think I
0: voted uh, "Girl in the Fireplace" and left Blink off my list. Anyway, let's do the let's do something else and then do the top five. So I'm going to do another film review then. Okay. Well, I'm going to do half a film review because yes. I've watched. The first two thirds of this today and never got to the last half an hour. Right. But the Son of Bigfoot. Okay. It's an animated kids thing. Right. It's a European one, French, Belgian co-production, I think. Okay. Made for about thirty million dollars, which is like a fraction of what companies like Pixar spend on a movie.
1: Yeah. But I
0: mean it's really nicely done. Mm. It's um the animation's not of the quality. But it's good enough, and some of the um, what I really like about animated movies is when they evoke something, yeah. And this being Bigfoot is largely set in the woods, and I think mm-hmm. it has a really decent evocation of um, the sort of time and place, right? Yes. I think it does it pretty well, it's a bit quirky, yeah. yeah. Being a French-Belgian co-production, it's uh, not quite got the sensibility you'd expect from an American animation, yes, yeah. but it's obviously going for the American thing. It's all American actors, although none of right, them are okay. the ones you'd have heard of.
1: Yeah.
0: But I mean, it's not the best, Yeah. but I, I think it's pretty decent, really. And if you've got kids of an age who are watching animations and stuff, it mm. um, does have the word crap in it. Good grief. Well, yeah, I know, but when you stick things in front of a four or five year old, you've got to be careful what they watch.
1: Yes, yeah. So, uh, Is it a rating?
0: Th- Has it got rating? It's rating? PG.
1: Okay, so that's that's the PG bit. Well, that's an
0: indication that if they're under seven, you should supervise. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, and that's, that's why. Okay. Also, there's a bit, there's a bit scary and a little bit violent, mm-hmm. but. Not nearly as much as of the violence as you would have had in, say, Tom and Jerry. Yes. And not nearly as scary as some other kids' films, to be right. honest. yes. No, it's pretty good, really, for what it is. Okay. Um, and I'm going to do another quick DVD review as well, which is not a film. I'll save the third, third film for the end. The Doctors, the William Hartnell years, the next oh, one myth. of the okay. Koch Media reissues of The Myth Makers.
1: Oh, are they releasing them out of order then? Yeah. Okay,
0: right. Which is, yeah, they did third, second, fourth, first. Right. Okay. I'm assuming that they'll go on and do the other Doctors, but they've got fewer interviews. Yeah. So I, whether they'll be able to put together a set with six different interviews for the fifth, sixth and seventh Doctors, I'm not sure. Yeah. As it goes, so far, it's all
1: been just doctors and companions being interviewed. So the seventh, you'd have to extend that to writers. If writers have been involved in... guest actors. Yeah, okay.
0: Oh, yeah, there's been a lot of writers and directors interviewed for Mythmakers. But so far, the only actors have been included on these reissues. So, I'm wondering, and I can't for the life of me, me remember exactly who's been interviewed. I don't think Sylvester McCoy's done Mythmakers, has he? I think he has. Has he? Okay. Yeah, I think all the doctors from Pertwee up to McCoy right. have done okay. Mythmakers. Okay. I th- think maybe McGann's even done okay. one. Okay. I could be wrong on that. Right. I can't remember. I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Yep. Well, I'll have to dig them out at home. They're all buried under a load of stuff. <laughs> But, but as it goes, this one's got a tribute to William Hartnell rather than an interview with William Hartnell. Right. And given that no interviews from uh, conventions or whatever exist, yeah. there's nothing of him on there. Yeah. yeah. So, that's a, I mean, given the circumstances, you'd expect that. But yes. that is a bit of a hole in the issue yes. as yeah. compared
1: to the other ones. But that's always the case with Hartnell is mm. you're, you're always, never going to have it. You've, you're defining his character through the people around him and the anecdotes. Yeah. And that's almost, I mean, that's kind of the reason why he can be played by David Bradley. Yes. In the new series. Yeah, yeah. That's the
0: whole point. And um, one of the interviews is with his granddaughter. Okay. And another one's with a guy called Jack Pitt who, and the reason they were able to do it, and make it seem appropriate is because he actually appeared inside Zabi and mechanoids and things. He right, was a okay. monster actor. Yes. But, crucially, he was also William Hartnell's flatmate for a time. Right, okay. So, actually... I can't, I can't yeah, I know.
1: William Hartnell having a flatmate. <laughs> no, but I,
0: life of an actor. Yeah. Oh, yeah so, yeah. Um, yeah. actually, Jack Pitt is one of the more interesting interviews on there. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Jacqueline Hill, again, had died before the Myth Makers. Right, really got underway, Mm -hmm. so there's not a Jacqueline Hill interview as such. But she did do one convention, which was filmed before she died, Mm -hmm. so they've got footage from the convention. And an interview with Alvin Rakoff, who was her husband. Right, okay. So, again, that's quite a personal one. Yes, yeah. Um, Also on there is Caroline Ford. Peter Purvis. Peter Purvis, and... um, William Russell who yeah. both interviewed slightly later in the Mythmakers series right. okay. so they're more a little bit more in-depth interviews yeah. and those two are always worth listening to. Yeah. but the sixth segment is uh, the one that really is probably going to grab people's attention because mm. it's Jackie Lane. Really? Yeah, who never does conventions, never does any promotional stuff, never lets herself be interviewed. I think she's done like one convention way back in like 1985 when there's never been back for more. Right. And I don't think she's been interviewed since she agreed to do a Mythmakers. Wow. So here she is on a Mythmakers. Okay, oh, that's impressive. But what's less impressive is that they decided to film her against a green screen and set her inside what they call a virtual TARDIS. Oh, okay. So, she's against animated TARDIS backgrounds, which flash up um, images of the things she's talking about on computer screens and occasionally disappears to be replaced by all sorts of other weird shit. Right, okay. It's... uh, Distracting. Yes, it is very distracting. Especially as the green screen is not very good, so her face has got... Right, okay. Fringing, not just around the outside, but all over her face and clothes as well. Yeah. But still, Jackie... Jackie Lane's on there, and it's okay. got to be worth seeing. Yeah, that. yeah. it's yeah, interesting. <laughs> right, we're going to get into the top five. Okay. We have got some comments, but I'm going to save those for a bit later on. Right. Okay, this is where it gets interesting, right? Okay. In fifth place, on 17.8%, which is a big leap from sixth. So, yeah. this, like I say again, this top five is a very defined top five, Okay. rather than stories that, you know... We're on the yes, edge of yeah, being somewhere yeah. else. Are you getting excited, Matt?
1: No. But okay. go on. <laughs> In fifth place, <laughs> The patient. Empty Child. Oh, okay. And is it The Empty Child and the Doctor Don? Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah we've yeah, done yeah. the two-parter. Yeah, I'm definitely talking about the two-parters when I say okay, that. Okay, okay. That's not a shock, no, I guess. No. And it's the first time with the, the reboot, the, re- the new series, that it really frightened children. I don't mm. that's the first I remember walking around that Halloween after the series had ended and seeing gas mask children oh really planned. and that's one of those sort of indications that maybe maybe Doctor Who was popular again uh, Was when you see kids. children yeah, dressing yeah.
0: up and apparently kids in school were going around saying to each other are you my yeah, mummy yeah so yeah. it's
1: perfectly designed perfectly designed for kids then but also the kids then this was 2005 yeah, yeah. Depressing enough, that's 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So the kids yeah. then are now, you know, in their 20s. Yeah. Oh dear, now you look sad. Yeah, yeah. You looked no. excited a minute no, no, ago. No, no, that's depressing. I know you weren't cyber map, but. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. That is, that is, that is sobering, isn't it? Well, I mean, given but, where, but yeah, so they're, they're, they're the kind of fans mm. now. They're the sort of nostalgic. He's got that nostalgic thing now.
0: Well, given where it is on the list, it could have gone one or two ways. It's Stephen Moffat's first, obviously. Did the Curse of Fatal Death? It's yeah. his first proper Doctor Who story, mm-hmm. but also it's one that's been sort of superseded by things like Blink, yeah, and the other stories that are going to be on this list, which we'll get to. Yes, so yeah. it could have been. It could have been a case of. It being slightly forgotten because mm-hmm. other things have superseded it, yes. or it could have been a case of it getting a really high vote because it was his first and therefore yes. it's the one untainted by his reputation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's obviously got a bit more of the latter because yes, it landed yeah. inside the top five. But yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, I can't remember whether I put it on my let- see my top five list. Is uh, basically. 10 Stephen Moffat stories and take your pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I can't remember whether I did actually include it in mine, but it would have certainly been there or thereabouts because it's just a phenomenal story.
1: I think the fact that it's in the top five now is probably that means that's where it's going to stay because it's... It's old enough yeah. now to have settled, so it's. For his reputation, sort of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And
0: it's, like I say, it's Stephen Moffat Untainted. He does all the things that Stephen Moffat does in his stories, but mm. it's the first time anybody had seen him doing them. Yeah. So, as far as a lot of people are properly concerned, this is still innocent yes. in a way. Yeah. Move on to number four. This one. On 20.7%, so again a bit of a leap, not quite as much of a leap, but a bit of a leap. And this is the very last Doctor Who story we've seen, World okay. enough and Time and the Doctor okay. Falls. Okay,
1: Which Which... Um, so th- this, this falls into the other count, so whilst The Empty Child is probably settled where it is because it's old enough, this has probably got that sort of sudden bounce of... Except,
0: uh, the most recent. yeah, except the people who vote, I mean, the people who vote in big polls like mm. Doctor Who magazine, you'll yeah. have a bit of that. Yeah. But I don't think you'd get that so much here because of the kind of people who are voting in that yeah. poll. Yeah, possibly. And I have a feeling, especially with the two episodes being so different and doing so very different things, but doing those different things so very successfully. Yeah. I have a feeling this one will... I mean, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I have a feeling this one will stick. Right. Because yeah. that first episode is just so creepy. Yeah. And it has yeah. such an idiosyncratic feel about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it reminds me of Jeanne and and It's reminded yes, other yeah. people of different things. David Lynch is yes, something that's yeah. been mentioned. Yes. But yeah. it definitely has that really
1: idiosyncratic feel. It doesn't yeah.
0: feel like the Doctor Who universe. Mm.
1: I also wonder if it's going to be reassessed and shaped again after the Christmas special because the Christmas special very much feels like it carries on from that story hmm. which it does so so sort of slow death of the doctor so that might be I mean it's one of those sort of not a trilogy but an unofficial an unofficial trilogy so the three stories linked together maybe um
0: but I do think that those two episodes by themselves complement each other mm. I mean I'm yeah. on the record, obviously, as not thinking the second one was as good as the first. Yes. But I think they do complement each other and do... And that second one does have some spectacularly memorable moments. Yes, yeah. Shall we find out what's third? Okay, yeah. Okay, in third spot, Human Nature. Ah. And The Family of Blood, obviously. Okay, It's okay. a strong story. Which I'm not that keen on. No. Or well, no, I'm really, really keen on some of it and yeah. really not so keen on other bits. Yeah, But uh, you can... It is, well, like we said about The Doctor's Wife mm. and about Midnight and all the others, mm. in terms of being distinctive, the one where The Doctor spends two episodes being a
1: human being. It is, but it's also fairly conventional. It's the one sort of mid-season story not by a showrunner that makes well. <laughs> you know, well not entirely um, built well no because the the best bits about it are are Paul Cornell stuff which is i don't know story, if you've read the, story. the novel <clears throat> yeah yeah But I mean, it's not very similar to the novel at all no but the important the important plot beats are there and the important yeah. concepts are there the and concept is and Paul Cornell's that's yeah, really yeah. the genius behind it that's why it's such a such a good story but it's also got a traditional feel and I think the fact that it's then, so high is... Yeah. But then it
0: has some really odd things, like the way it ends is mm. so out of character for the series. Yes, really yeah, really vengeful doctor doing yeah, really nasty yeah. stuff. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's not like he's never done it before or after, yeah. but it doesn't feel... I mean, that stretches the fairy tale
1: mm-hmm. element. I like it, actually. Fair. I like that bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I thought at the time, when it was first on, I thought they were over-egging it and stretching it out a bit. But when I've rewatched it recently... It works. I quite like that protracted ending. Sometimes protracted endings aren't my favourite. Ah, right, gotcha. H- hence um, hence the, the death of David Tennant. But um, oh, no. but this one, I, I thought that was kind of the point. I quite like it now. And it's got some great actors in it doing great things yes.
0: as well. Yeah. Which is always... Um, you know, which you can't take for granted in Doctor Who because no, it doesn't always no. happen. Yeah. But I mean, this one really, yeah. it's like um, Daleks in Manhattan in that it catches a young actor on the way up just before he yeah, kind of goes Andrew stellar. Carfield. Yeah. Yeah, and this has got, I can't remember his name because I'm Lloyd. so bad. Yeah. yeah. No.
1: Yeah. Oh, and um, um, the little one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's got him as well.
0: Yes, it has. Oh, wow. Um, right, before I do the top two, yes. which anybody listening has probably guessed by now we have got three people who did comments and rather than reading them out as we went up, because a lot of them were for stories that ended up outside the top ten, I thought I'd save the comments and do them together. Yeah. So I'm going to do the comments now. Okay. And then we'll find out in which order the top two. Right. And by what spread. Mm-hmm. But Graham Cluley did his top five and in first place he had The Girl in the Fireplace. So okay. clever. A beautifully constructed, fantastic monster design and a love story before the Doctor decided to fall in love every other week. Right. Second, Midnight, the growing tension, the terror of the unseen monster, the claustrophobic setting. My wife thinks it's the worst episode of all time, <laughs> claiming nothing happens. Pah! Uh, third, is the Pandorica opens. And the Big Bang. We had never seen a series finale like this. Matt Smith is incredible in his first year, and when he goes back through time and speaks to Amelia as she sleeps, you feel that he really is 900 years old. OK. Fourth, Heaven Sent, beautifully shot, well-acted, and the first mention of Ars in the series. Good, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Before it turned up in every single episode in Series yeah. 10. Fifth, The End of the World It felt like The Curse of Peladon which of course I love with all of the alien delegates but more than that the ending in The High Street made me feel something and I realised that New Doctor Who would be doing something so different from the classic era Mm -hmm. Yes, that's that's Chipsy He also says I'm surprised I have more stories from the RTD era than Moffat here although of course the girl in the fireplace is really Moffat I wanted to include Love and Monsters because it gets so much hate yet I loved it from the first time I saw it. It doesn't quite make the grade, though, despite it being such a love letter to Doctor Who fandom and an amusing swipe at one fan in particular, (laughs) who he names, but I'm not going to. He says, I'm guessing Day of the Doctor may win or perhaps Heaven Sent, but the Zygon subplot always left me feeling flat, and if anybody listening hadn't worked out what the top two stories were going to be, I think they will have now. Yeah. Steve Herr says, first place, The Stolen Earth. I could watch this a thousand times and never get bored. It's not perfect, but it was perfect for me. God bless Russell T. Davis. But then in second place, he has the Zygon invasion. Well, wow. I really enjoy that, you know. There are some bits in there, the bit outside the church, that I think yes. are just so hokey. Yeah. But most of the rest of it, I just really enjoy. I don't know, yeah, it's just yeah. one of those stories that, well, like I said about that film just now, I kind of like having things evoked. Yes. yeah. And I think the Zygon invasion does that really mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. It says, genuinely both creepy and terrifying on so many levels with standout performances from the two leads. If only the message got through to some potential future politicians, then this could be <laughs> the most powerful episode of Doctor Who ever. In third place, Human Nature and the Family of Blood. Perfect Halloween viewing with a moral message. Great performances. And those scarecrows were scary. Fourth place, World Enough and Time. In fact, he's got third, fourth and fifth in the exact positions that oh, were on our okay, list. Okay. Fourth place, World Enough and Time. The end of one of the finest TARDIS teams. The Masters were magnificent and the Cybermen were finally frightening again. <laughs> and fifth, he has The Empty Child. Doctor Who has adults scuttling behind the sofa again. Horror, comedy, romance and action. Something for everyone, with a happy ending for all. OK. And then David Kitchen writes... good eye, David. First, Human Nature, Family of Blood. Tennant shows he can act, and Martha shows how under, underrated she was in a story that perfectly balances the sci-fi, fantasy and character drama in the way that the best Doctor Who does with an amazing guest cast. Second, The Empty Child Doctor Dancers, clever, witty, dramatic, and brilliantly shot. To me, this encapsulates the best of Moffat's writing. Third, Stolen Earth, Journey's End, an amazing celebration of the Russell T Davies era when Doctor Who was riding at its highest, with RTD cleverly working in all the characters and plot threads and an amazing Davros. Would be higher, apart from the Dr Donna nonsense at the end. Yeah. Fourth place, listen, I can't say analytically why I love this episode, I just know I do. And while I know JR firmly believes there is no ambiguity, to me, the ambiguity is part of what I love. Shall we get into that? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fifth, Dalek. After a run of episodes I was either indifferent to or didn't like at all, hello, aliens of London, I was re- I was ready to decide this new series wasn't for me. Dalek was the masterpiece that hooked me in. Excellent. There you go.
1: <clears throat> That's quite a good spread.
0: Yeah, and, it, and it's nice to know that our listeners aren't just listening to us because we like Stephen Moffat, mm. but are voting for Russell yes. T Davis stories yeah. just as much. Yeah, yeah. So actually, yeah, you're right. We have got a decent spread here. Mm-hmm. In fact, all three of those, had Russell D. Davis here stories in first place. Mm-hmm. Okay, ready for first place, Matt. Okay. Well, obviously second, second hand. place first, but yes. Well, in that case, I'm going to do something else. Okay. And then we'll find out what came second and first. Right. Because we had an email from John Hull. Okay. And I don't, uh, I don't suspect we'll talk about it for long, but it might be worth a little bit of thought. He says, Hi JR, I found it interesting when you all broke down the favourite characters in your polls. What with the first Doctor being recast, it reminded me of the comment you made some time ago about having Doctor Who films and their not being in the TV canon. Right. Comparing to Spider-Man various media versions. And you're right, I think it would be a good thing and not all that confusing as Marvel and DC do it all the time. Right, he goes on and says something else about it. But for anybody who's wondering, I said, and I've been saying for quite a while, and I've said it twice, maybe three times on this podcast, that if you had a Doctor Who film, you would just cast a different actor Mm. and call him the Doctor and not specify where in the run of Doctors he comes Mm. and just give him stories. And you could still have a different actor playing the Doctor on TV yeah, And it wouldn't be too difficult for a TV audience brought up on the idea that there have been 13 so far different Doctors yeah. to go along with a series of films with one Doctor and a TV series with another Doctor. I think it could be
1: quite liberating. So if you look at how Star Trek's working at the moment, Star Trek was very, very carefully sort of one series followed the next and it tied in and it had sort of... Threading narratives in each series overlapped, and then they had the the new movies that kind of fractured that that kind of blew it apart and doing exactly what you said. they just recast some some famous yeah, characters essentially they changed yeah. the tone of it, and they sort of abandoned that in the safety of the movie universe and now they're doing a television series that's kind of extending that a little bit, sort of carrying on that kind of sort of slightly iconoclastic feel of the new series. And I wonder if Doctor Who sometimes needs that kind of fracturing to to free it from the past. I've always said that,
0: and I wouldn't expect them to do it, But when people have said, oh, you couldn't do, because one thing that people called for was in the downtime between Doctor Who series, why didn't you have an alternative Doctor Who series with Paul McGann so you'd finally get a series of adventures? Yes. Maybe like a six-part mini-series or something. Mm -hmm. And I've always said, I don't think they would do it. Yeah. But I don't think that if they wanted to, there'd be any issue with that. No. Because TV audience is intelligent enough to know that, that... the doctor hasn't suddenly changed into somebody else, yeah, but that this is somebody else that he either has been before or will change into at some yeah. time in the future yeah. that we probably won't see, yes, but it doesn't matter. The doctor can be all sorts of different people,
1: yeah and, and he travels in time, and sequels, prequels, reboots, reimaginings they're what happened these days. This is in a, the current, I mean, it's actually yeah. a kind of a new a new mode of thinking. On television and in the film and in the film world. Well, at the moment, you look at what Marvel are
0: doing, and I'm not a Marvel fan, and I've not seen many of these. But at the moment, we've had three Iron Man films, three yeah. Thor films, yes. three Captain America films, yeah. and we're about to have the third Avengers film. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm right on that. Aren't yes, I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they sort of cross over into each other's universes. Yes, but. At the same time, they're sort of in their own universes having their own stories. Oh, yeah,
1: and they're tonally different as well. They're all yeah. different sort of tones and types of story. Yes. Yeah, and that's of course, different. then you've got Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Yes. Yeah. So this
0: is a consistent universe that's taking place both on Earth and in outer space. Yes, yeah, and in sort of fantasy realms. Hmm. So there's no particular reason. No, no. Why? I mean, because the fact, mere fact that one of them would be in the cinema and the other one would be on the telly... Hmm would make it seem odder if, for example, say it happened a few years ago, Peter Capaldi was to do a series on TV and then a movie and then do another series on TV. And anybody who didn't go and see him in the movie would be wondering what the hell had happened to him between the two series they'd watched on TV, right? Mm, That would be more, to my mind, that would be more confusing for an audience than to have separate doctors in the film and on TV. Yeah, absolutely anyway he's john Hull goes on and says makes me wonder if there is more mileage in some of the older characters but many villains are made for a particular list, a particular story in brain of morbius stephen moffat found more room in the sisterhood of khan but not so much in morbius or solon
1: yes
0: i think what he's saying there is in the same way as the marvel universe basically brought in all the characters that they have licences to obviously some of the licences are elsewhere at the moment but between the various TV programmes and the various film series they found ways of bringing in all these various different characters and I think what John Hole is saying is if Doctor Who was to go down the line of being in the movies and on TV and potentially with spin-off series, Mm. who knows then more of the sort of classic characters of the past, well, not necessarily the ones that you necessarily would think of first, yeah. but the sort of secondary ones that are universe-building characters, like the Sisterhood of Khan. Mm. There'd be room for maybe developing those. Sure, yeah. Something like the Sisterhood of Khan, for example, just because that's the one he brought them up, mm. you could have a series of movies where each movie tells a different story, yeah. but it's not just the Doctor and, say, a boy and girl companion that he or she takes with him on his journeys who carry on between the films. But something like the Sisterhood of Khan could be a sort of universe-building Greek chorus type of element to have across the films Mm -hmm. so that they become important in terms of maybe expositional plot development at particular points. I think he's just saying that, really. Mm -hmm. Shall we do the top two? Yes, let's do the top two. Are you excited, Matt?
1: Well, I think I've guessed what they are. Well, I think we've all guessed what they
0: are by now. Right, Human Nature in third place was on 23%. Heaven Sent in second place is on 37.8%. Yeah. So these two are way out in front. Yeah. I put Heaven Sent, Face the Raven and Hell bent Down as three separate stories okay. in terms of what people could vote for because i think that although uh, you know i don't think you can consider them separate stories because they are all linked in together so much that they're the same story essentially so yeah. they're so different and so distinct from one another i just think they work better
1: so they're tril- three separate there are a trilogy of stories but not a three part story no i think they are a three part story in some right. ways
0: yeah. I, because unlike, say, in Utopia, in, in, um, The Last of the Time Lords, you have yeah. an element that comes back from Utopia, which would yeah. be the toclophane. Yeah. But that's an element rather than a continuing part of the story. Right. Whereas Hellbent is about the Doctor using what happened to him in Heaven Sent. Yeah. To, Take revenge on the people who caused the events of Face yeah. the Raven. Although
1: although Utopia, Sound of Drums, and The Last of Time is the story of the Master, so that's the, the Master's story. Yeah, but no so more
0: so that. than Keeper of Truck and Legopolis, and *Castrovalva*. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's. But the second two of those, for sure.
0: Yeah. But the first one is an introduction. It's,
1: it's getting. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that modern Doctor Who does so well is. Well, it I mean, doesn't care about two. Par- it doesn't matter about two-parters anymore. Well, look at series six because stories interlink and, yeah, yeah. and crossover.
0: Essentially, series six yeah. has got a five-part story with mm-hmm. other episodes in between. Yeah,
1: you haven't actually mentioned number one yet. No, I will do. But we're okay. talking about Heaven Sent first. But actually, actually, it's interesting in comparison with number one, considering the differences between the two types of stories. Well,
0: there's something very, very different and yeah. completely opposite about
1: them. But we'll yeah. get to that
0: in a minute. Okay. I was just going to say, well, yeah, I was just going to say, but in Heaven Sent, I think the story just continued from one to the next. Yes, yeah, in a in a more consistent way than it does elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, the big thing about Heaven Sent is that essentially it's a single hander. Yeah, Yeah. and that's that's what makes it really distinctive. Mm -hmm. What makes it really successful is, well, in my mind, not necessarily the script. Yeah, I mean, it's a good script. But I, in terms of Stephen Moffat, I don't think it's more really than a serviceable Stephen Moffat story. Yeah, I think he does everything he needs to do in there, mm. but I don't think it's got that magic that you get in some of his others. No. But Rachel Talalay's direction, yes. is the, what really makes and it, and the
1: performance. Oh, and it's the direction yeah. and the performance. Because there's a lot of pressure on Capaldi, in that to <laughs> yes. carry it. And obviously and part of the does. performance
0: comes out of the direction because yeah. Yeah. it's her job to bring it out of him. yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's between the actor and mm. the world she builds. Yes, I think it's her who makes that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously the com- thing that makes that completely the opposite of the number one story, Day of the Doctor, which is again another bit of a leap up to 45.2%, yeah. is that Heaven Sent is an episode about one character... Mm -hmm. And Day of the Doctor is an episode (laughs) about all sorts of things, including three versions of the same character.
1: Heaven Sentence is an exercise in minimalism, and Day of the Doctor is an exercise in getting getting as much in as possible. It it certainly is. They're both equally as successful. I mean, Day of the Doctor is always going to be hugely popular amongst classic series fans, new series fans... David Tennant fans, Russell T. Davis fans. I, you know the thing about Dave the Doctor is,
0: I think a lot of people wanted not to like it, yeah, because they thought it'd piss all over their memories of the five Doctors and stuff. Yes, but it's only because it's so good that I mean, this is probably like a minority of people, but had to grudgingly admit to yes. liking a Stephen Moffat episode that was a multi-Doctor special. Yes, when they were expecting it not to be up to much cop. Yeah, and I've said before. But, I mean, I'll just quickly say again, for the sake of it, he took the template of something like The Five Doctors and The Three Doctors before it. Mm. And The Five Doctors was, in some ways, a remake of The Three Doctors in that it was about a threat to the universe that came from old-time Gallifrey. And The Day of the Doctor... Takes that template and updates it and makes something new of it and yeah. tells a story
1: about it that means something in the yeah, real world, yeah. and parodies it as well because uh, yeah. the the old time threat Gallifrey threat in Day of the Doctor is the Doctor. He yeah, is yeah. the he the antagonist and the protagonist. Yeah, me. yeah. I mean, Zygons are thrown in, but Zygons are there just as a sort of a although well, they're as there a sub, as the... subplot. Well, they're there to preempt the way the
0: Dalek storyline is going to be resolved, essentially. Yeah yeah, 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 And because Russell T. Davis never did give David Tennant a Zygon yes, story, yeah, yeah. so Stephen Moffat so, did that out
1: of uh, sentimentalism. So the Zygons are like to play within the play. Mm. Um, but the the main villain of the piece is the Doctor. Whether yeah, whether you you recognise it or not, it's the Doctor.
0: Well, the main yeah, the main sort of. The main ostensible threat is the Daleks, but actually the thing that's going to wipe everybody out Mm -hmm. is going to be the Doctor. And Stephen Moffat, who has pulled many rabbits out of hats over the course of his time on the series, Mm. saves his biggest one for his biggest episode, essentially. I mean, the actual way he does it disappears Gallifrey as the Daleks master around it so they end up blowing each other up yes. that in itself is nothing special no. but nobody was going into the day of the Doctor expecting to come out the end of it to find that not only had the Doctor saved Gallifrey rather than destroying it yeah. he'd also done it in such a way that left the past intact yeah. because it still appears to have been destroyed mm-hmm. until the yeah. moment at which the most recent Doctor realises what he's done yeah A stroke of absolute genius, really. yeah. Yeah. And um, when this was number one in the last Doctor Who magazine poll in 2014, I think a lot of people said, well, it's number one now because people are voting for it because it's just been on, Mm. but it won't be number one forever. I said at the time, I thought it still would be, and we've done this vote now, and it's got 45.2%, and that is... Twice as many votes as the story that came in third. Yes. Essentially. And, you know, that is of, like you said, a hundred stories. Day of the Doctor is so way out in yes. front. Yeah. And this is amongst people voting in this poll who are sensible enough not to be swayed by things like, was it the most recent? Yes. Yeah. So I think right. that's just, um, you know, more evidence that the Day of the Doctor will last as being regarded as either the best or at least very near the best Doctor yes. Who story yeah. ever made. And certainly for me that is in spite of Listen and Hellbent and other things being so close. Yes. I still think the Day of the Doctor is his greatest and the series' greatest achievement, frankly. Yes. Yeah. So there it is. What? Unless you've got anything else to add, that's our top ten new series Doctor Who stories. No, or, there, were some, some, there were some surprises. I think Blink is the biggest surprise. Been as low as... Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's only six. It looks lower because yes, you're looking yeah, at a piece yeah, of paper yeah. and it's down yeah. at ninth, but yeah. Yes, yeah. But yeah, that is lower than you would perhaps have thought. <sighs> yes, our top ten was David Kitchen might have it at top 20. Okay, yes. I'm sure we'll hear from you <laughs> Um... Just before we go, then, I did have one more film right, to talk did. about, yeah. which is 47 Metres Deep. Okay. Well, it's it came out in the summer. It was a low-budget sharks movie, okay. essentially. Oh, I think I've heard of this. Yeah. yeah. Well, it made something like five times its budget back at the box office. It right. was. I mean, it wasn't a runaway success making hundreds of millions of dollars. But it was one of those sleeper things that nobody expected to do well. In Mm. fact, so much was nobody expecting to do well. It was supposed to come out in 2016. Mm. And the company that was going to distribute it either went out of business or sold the rights to it to Mm. another company. After the original company Mm. weren't going to put it in the pictures, had already sent out screeners and sent out DVDs to the shops, which then had to be recalled. And the movie was renamed.
1: Right.
0: And then goes on to be this runaway success in the pictures the following summer. Yeah. Um, It's not really very good. Oh, okay. I mean, it's not dreadful. It holds the attention. The acting is as good as you would expect, considering that two-thirds of the movie takes place underwater in oxygen masks. Yes. Um, It's about two sisters who go on holiday. Meet a couple of guys who say, let's go cage diving and look yeah. at sharks. Mm-hmm. And the cage becomes unattached and sinks to the bottom of the sea. Right. I don't really... I've got to say I watched it, and I was watching it closely, and I don't think they actually give a reason why the, shape, the, the cage becomes unattached. It suddenly, right. at some point, just drops. Yes. Because, I suppose, they're showing the film from the point of view yes, of the two yeah, girls, yeah. so they wouldn't know. Yeah. And then... Uh, and this was surprising. This is 20 minutes into the movie. So then you've got another hour or so with just two girls on the bottom of the ocean. Right. Well, the promotion makes it look like it's going to be a film about sharks. Yes. And the sharks are an ever-present threat. They're yeah. there throughout, and they're there at the climax. Yeah. It's not really about the sharks, really. It's about two girls stuck in a cage at the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in terms of that, how that works, because they're in oxygen masks, you don't really get performances out of the two girls so what sort of masks
1: are they they're full they're face masks full face you, face mask. can so you can sort of see, see face their face but okay. because
0: it's underwater yeah. you know you don't get anything like the subtlety that you would right. yeah. and the script doesn't really give them a lot of characterisation mm. yeah. I mean it brushes in some broad strokes about one of them being repressed and the other one being yes. footloose yeah. and fancy free but and it gives them a backstory about a broken relationship as well. Mm. But then it doesn't really do anything with any of those elements. Yes. So essentially you've got two girls stuck on the bottom of the ocean and they keep introducing just enough story things, narrative things to keep it ticking along. Mm. But to be honest, is sixty minutes at the bottom of the ocean that doesn't get boring, despite the fact that nothing really happens. Yes, yeah. So I can't say it's successful, no. and I can't say it's a particularly good movie. But by the same token, I can't say I didn't enjoy it. Okay. Because okay. I just kind of enjoyed it. Yes. But yeah. I'd never go want to go back and no. watch it again. Okay. It's one of those Friday night renters, is what I call them. Okay. One of those things that you could sit and watch quite happily, but then by the time Saturday morning had come, you'd probably forget all about it and forget to take it back to the shop. Yes. But fortunately, we're in a Netflix region. Yeah, yeah. That's,
1: yeah. <laughs> we're in the next Welcome Netflix generation, so yes. you wouldn't have to, but yeah. you know what
0: I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's 47 meters deep. <laughs> and that is uh, the end of our episode for the week. Oh, ah. so, uh, next week we will have the top 10 Doctor Who writers. Oh, good. Oh, okay. And the week after that, we'll have the top 10 classic series stories, Yes, which I'll be putting the vote for about the same time as this podcast goes out. So if you're listening to this and it's in the first week or 10 days, uh, find us on Facebook, Doctor Who, the Blue Box podcast. Mm -hmm. Find the poll and vote for your top five, which we will turn into a top 10. Classic series Doctor Who stories, mm-hmm. because with even more to choose from, yes. it's more important that more people vote so that we can get a defined top ten. Yeah, yeah. So this is I my entreaty I've... to you, dear listener. I think I've already voted. Vote,
1: no, I've, I've not done that one yet. Oh right, okay. So I've so done the so writers' one. I've got to start one. thinking about it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: There may just about be time to vote in the writers' one, but I think we may record that one fairly soon. So. Right do that immediately after you hear Mm. this if you hear this on the first day it goes out but yeah, Top 10 Classic Series Stories is going to be the last of our 10 Top 10s for the autumn season Okay. but until next week where we do the Top 10 Writers, I was JR I was Matt and we'll speak again soon